Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. Today, my guests are Andrew Kosov and Broderick Johnson, co-founders and CEOs of Alcon Entertainment. Kosov and Johnson are veteran producers who are in the trenches daily in a fast-changing market. The two speak candidly about the deal-making seven years ago that allowed them to own outright the fantasy series The Expanse, which has its fifth season finale on Amazon today. Alcon is the rare animal in Hollywood that brings its own financing to the table in many cases. The two co-founded the studio in 1997 as a partnership with Fred Smith, founder and former head of FedEx. Having money in the game gives Kosov and Johnson more clout when setting up projects and a better ability to call the shots. Over the past 20 plus years, they've built a library of wholly owned films, including such hits as The Blind Side, The Book of Eli, and Dolphin Tale. In our conversation, the producers speak candidly about the leverage game in the content business these days. It's all about who has in-demand IP. The pair also speak really frankly about the state of the film business. Simply put, the economics have deteriorated so badly over the past decade that Kosov and Johnson think it requires a massive rethink from those who love the industry and the art form. And that's all coming up today on Strictly Business. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, 
there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Andrew Kosob and Broderick Johnson, founders and co-CEOs of Alcon Entertainment. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. We're happy to be here. So I wanted to talk to you about your television series, The The Expanse. And, you know, kind of there's a there's a really interesting kind of backstory of how this show came to be, how it how it uh, started on sci-fi and how it moved to Amazon and along the way how you two managed to craft deals that worked for you and worked for Alcon that were very unusual in the television landscape today. So uh, I think start by telling me about what it was about this project that made Alcon, which primarily does features. What was it about The Expanse that made you want to invest in a show that, you know, that is now about to go six seasons? Broderick, would you like to start? No, go ahead. Well, uh, you know, the, Cynthia, the, the, the underlying IP, the, the book series, The Expanse, was, which is written by the pen name James S.A. Corey, but is, is, is uh, two, wonderful, uh, two wonderful writers. Uh, and uh, Sean Daniel, who's an established feature producer, brought the material to Alcon. Um, and uh, we've known Sean for a long time, and then we worked with him, and um, uh, we brought on uh, two wonderful feature writers, Mark Fergus and Hawk Otsby, who wrote Children of Men in the first Iron Man feature, and uh, they excited us tremendously with what their vision was for this, this vast universe. Um, and so we decided to, uh, you know, to use our own financial resources, which we always do, to develop and package the show. Um, we then um, brought on Narain Shanker, who's a wonderful uh, showrunner in TV, who ran CSI for many years, uh, to be the showrunner of the show. So we put an entire package together uh, for the show. Our philosophy as a company, going back to our origins, is we've always believed in Fred Smith, who's our third partner in financial backers, the founder and chairman and CEO of FedEx, have always believed in the value of, of, pro, of programming and content before everyone started calling it content a couple years ago. Because look at the history of media there's always some new distribution technology that comes along that increases the value of content. It has been, it was the TV in the fifties. It was VHS in the eighties. It became the DVD, you know, late in the 20th and early in the 21st century. And of course now it's become this new technology of streaming. And so our attitude has been we're always willing to risk our own financial resources to create content uh, with the intention of owning the content that we create. And we recognize sometimes we have short-term victories on our content that is very rewarding. And sometimes we have short-term losses on our content, which is disappointing. 
But in the long term, we've always believed in the appreciation of the value of owning content. And so we took that same approach in television that we've always taken with features. So when we approached Sci-Fi at the time and they uh, uh, had an executive there named Bill McGoldrick, who was very enthusiastic about the project and is a very talented TV executive and you know, expressed a creative enthusiasm when we began to get into the business affairs, because we had multiple bidders for the project at the time, the nature of the deal was they would provide us for a license fee for a certain basket of rights. We would be responsible for financing the deficit of the show. And then we needed to recoup that deficit out of rights we were retaining, international rights, electronic sell-through, DVD, so on and so forth. And, and, so and, S, and SVOD at the time. And SVOD. Because it was only right. for the linear rights. Correct. So that, it's important if one's looking at this from a business context, that was the structure of the deal. Now that deal was struck, she's, I think it's 2014, Cynthia, late 2013, early yeah. 2014. So that deal is kind of a relic today. <laughs> right. Because it was just at the moment, where streaming was starting to really take hold. I don't think House of Cards had probably been on the air or been on Netflix for more than probably a year and a half when we struck this deal. So it was the early days when there, when, when, when linear, solely linear rights were still perceived to have specific value. And so we struck this deal. The deal worked out very well for us because we were able to monetize the other rights and uh, over time, not only cover our deficit on the show, but earn a nice profit on the show as we went along and made the show. The challenge became, and this is something that's been reported in the press that's um, uh, been misunderstood a little bit, is the show was quite a successful show from the beginning by the metrics of sci-fi as a basic cable platform. Right. The challenge was that overall, and when I say that, I mean specifically, its numbers relative to other shows on sci-fi were quite strong. But the problem was, is that more and more people, of course, were migrating off of linear television watching onto binging and watching things on streaming and so on and so forth. So the deal became very difficult for sci-fi. The creative success of the show from the beginning from our point of view, was never in question. We loved this show, really, I think, from the first episodes we shot. I remember Broderick turning to me and saying, I think we've got something special here. And Sci-Fi and Bill McGoldrick, to his credit, were very big backers of the show artistically. It just became a, a victim of a changing business landscape and got to the point where they could no longer afford the show on the basis that we had made a deal with them. And right. so, so in other words, when we, when I think it was after season one, we made a deal actually with Amazon for the um, SBOD rights after airing on sci-fi. Right. And the issue was, is that more and more people were finding it more attractive to see it on Amazon. <laughs> Um, And so the economics for sci-fi, I think just for their window and the advertising they're collecting on their window started not to make sense because they did not have global rights in order 
to justify uh, the cost of the of the show. And so, you know, ultimately they've made a tough decision that yes, they weren't so, going to continue. Right. I mean, unlike the way that it's phrased, which I've always had an issue with in the press, they didn't cancel the show because they couldn't cancel the show. We own the show. It's ours. <laughs> they couldn't cancel our show. What they did specifically, to be very specific, is they elected not to continue to license the show for their cert, for their right. rights based upon the contract we had. And it was very, you know, it was ladies and gentlemen, everyone was very upstanding about it. And at that point, what Broderick and I felt is that we had such an exceptional show artistically that at that point had been recognized as really, you know, uh, at the top of its class in the sci-fi genre. We had won multiple awards at that point. Notices, we were 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. We were like, well, we have to figure out another way to keep this living. And we were very fortunate in that we had a very committed audience of people and frankly, a pretty intelligent audience of people who figured out how to use, you know, there's so much negativity about social media, of course. This happened to be one of those instances where social media was used in a constructive way in that a group of people had a shared interest in seeing uh, a, a, a storytelling continue, got together, banded together, and really spoke loudly to their desire to continue to see the show. And so the logical new landing place for the show was at Amazon, because then as Broderick points out, Amazon already had the second window streaming rights and the show was all, already performing very well on Amazon. And Jeff Bezos, who's a fellow Princetonian, he graduated a few years before me and Broderick, but uh, all in the Princeton family, he personally was a big fan of the show. And so it was sort of a very fortunate synergy. Going into it, did you have any concern about the potential, The you know, like in success, you could be on the hook for financing something for, you know, five, six, five, six years versus a feature, which is a more contained kind of economic transaction? It was all it, the, the business model for the expanse was always an attractive one, even when it was on sci fi, because it's because of the underlying IP. It's it's a pretty attractive project internationally and it's pretty broad, broad appeal content. And so we were never really um, concerned about being on the hook for some unsustainable deficit because, I mean, Andrew and I's background is is economics and business in, in addition to being creative. And so we have pretty we had a pretty good sense of the business parameters of this and never really were concerned about um, somehow getting behind a deficit that wasn't justifiable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you when you're still on sci-fi and you were making your deals for your you, you know, your second mm-hmm. week VOD and I imagine your international deals. Did you two pick up the phone and, and call somebody at Amazon? Or did you engage a distribution company to help you? For international originally, you mean? Or, or are you talking about the transition from sci-fi to Amazon? Like, which I'm talking about originally. Originally oh, when it's on sci-fi. We had, we had one buyer that came to us that wanted to buy all international rights to the show, which was very fortunate because it allowed us to uh, uh, get a single check from a single source 
as opposed to having to license it territory by territory. Now, we didn't know that was going to happen, and we would have been fine to license it territory by territory. Indeed, on the feature side, sometimes Warner Brothers distributes our movies globally, and frequently we license our films territory by territory. So that's and indeed, indeed, we had multiple offers to distribute international on the show at that point. Mm-hmm. And do you have your own infrastructure for international distribution, or do you no? Nope. We'd, we'd hire we'd hire someone to do that for them and pay them a distribution fee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, but you know, in this world now, it, 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 I think your experience shows how much it's changing. And in, in you know, ten years ago, it would have you would have gotten out a map and done a market by market. <laughs> but, in in this world and like you said that that it it had i'm sure real advantages in that you knew also that you knew kind of what you had to work with in terms of budget by getting sure so once we got through seasons one through three with uh sci-fi and sci-fi said look we love the show but we can't afford it anymore we then almost immediately began discussions with amazon and for reasons i just mentioned there was real synergy there um, you know, Vernon uh, Sanders, who's a, a, a co-head of TV, and Albert Chang uh, stepped up, you know, right away with the support of Jen Psaki, who at that time had just really uh, taken over at Amazon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were fantastic from the beginning, and they have been fantastic partners the whole way through. So what we had to do, without getting too much into the, the soup and boring folks, is we had to restructure the nature of the deal where what has happened now is Amazon is effectively the global district, the global platform for the show through a lot of of negotiations and working back and forth with different parties. We were able to consolidate all those rights with Amazon. And now the deal with Amazon is very straightforward in that they have paid us one license fee we're responsible for delivering the show, producing the show. If God forbid there was some budgetary overage, that's our responsibility. And, you know, we earn a profit in the differential between the license fee and our show. What is unique and is that going again back to our very original, you know, the, the, the philosophy of Alcon is we've continued to own the show. So mm-hmm. once the show is done on Amazon and it's aired for a handful of years, they all the episodes come back and are part of our library with all our other assets over these many years. And the underlying IP belongs to us. So as it relates to interactive or graphic novels or continuing the storytelling in features, those are all things that are on the table that we're talking about because it's such a rich world and there's such a fan base for the property that we're considering all kinds of interesting possibilities. We'll be right back with more from Andrew Kosov and Broderick Johnson right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's more from Alcon Entertainment's Andrew Kosov and Broderick Johnson. Let me ask you, was it a negotiation at Amazon to allow you to continue to own the sprockets? You know, well, the world is moving. Say, Everybody wants to own everything. Well, everything is a negotiation. Everything <laughs> is a negotiation. Um, it helped us that that was the legacy of the arrangement we already had. Um you know, it's 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 harder and harder to do a deal like that. What you need is a competitive situation where multiple outlets want a piece of content and, you know, and therefore you have the leverage to do it. I think the other the other thing, which was sort of the one of the um, main impetuses for us to get into the business is we own a film library now. That's a pretty nice. mature film library that has a lot of premium titles for television and given that we own those underlying rights it gives us leverage to retain ownership of those shows as well as opposed to you know if, if we're if we funded tens of millions of dollars to create the ip it doesn't make a lot of sense to just hand it over to someone and have them own it going forward you have to have some sort of sharing proposition that um generally is a little more favorable to us as the owners of the IP. Yeah, I think, Cynthia, as you, look, as you well understand, the, the business is constantly evolving. And let's, let's even talk pre-pandemic for a moment because it was evolving <laughs> at, at a rapid speed before the pandemic hit. And I think initially 
the sort of Netflix streaming model circa 2015, 2016, you know, sort of cost plus 20. When they wanted something, they gave you a deal, they buy out for 20%. It was kind of a formula or whatever. That's less and less the case now. It's really the deals are bespoke and they depend upon the marketplace. And as Broderick said, it depends upon how many people desire the you know the the watch that you're selling out of your <laughs> trench coat so to speak if you got a lot of people who, who are interested then you can uh you know you can negotiate very favorable terms if you have only one buyer interested you're going to get relatively less favorable terms it's really as as simple and as complicated as that what did the move to amazon mean for the show um Ooh. i'm sorry Oh, I was just saying, oh. I, 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 in, in, it's funny when you when you started to ask the question, I was like, oh, it meant a lot. <laughs> so. I'm sure, you know, for the, for you, Joe, for the just the like the, the value of the show. And I'm wondering if you got more information, more data about who's watching the show. Like, were there, were there benefits for it, for it going on to be, you know, the incredible Amazon platform? Well, I think there were multiple benefits to the show heading to Amazon. Um, one, um, it was important to them um, and to us, but especially important to them that they felt like they could give us more resources to make the show a, a, a richer experience just from a production value standpoint. So we, the subsequent seasons there was an increase in budget for the show, um, thankfully to them. Um, you know, I think the show benefits from not having commercial breaks and stuff like that because of the nature of the show and the cadence of the show. I think it's always been a show that would, would, have, would have benefited in that way. So I think both in a lot of creative ways, I think the show benefit being on a platform like Amazon and Amazon was very aggressive in their um, support for the show. Yeah, I, I just I think Cynthia in today's world, from a marketing standpoint, having yeah. the, the power of big data, which you just sort of alluded to a moment ago, mm -hmm. being able to identify who your audience is, being able to get to them efficiently, being able to coordinate across borders is really, really important. And so, you know, and just for the profile of the show and the ability to build the right. audience of the show further, um, uh, I think Amazon's been very beneficial and they've been wonderful, uh, wonderful partners and supporters with the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more, more people, the audience has grown on their platform. So that, and that's a big, it's, it's a, it's a, testament of the show itself which is which is continued to be uh the creators and and everyone who works on the show has done a magnificent job sort of upping the ante every year creatively but also amazon has been very astute in how they market and promote uh the show and so together it's it's just been it's been a wonderful process Mm -hmm. Do they give you any, do they give you a glimpse behind the curtain? Do they give you any data in terms you know, of who's, who's watching is, and where? These companies, not really. Uh, these tech companies <laughs> really don't like to share information. And their employees, <laughs> even their most senior employees, are told not to do that. And so 
you know, I, I think the, a couple answers, the, the information we receive is limited from them. However, as was always going to be the case, what has happened now is that third party vendors are now able to provide sort of independent information, as I'm sure you know. So, right. you know, Business Insider picks up a company called Paradanalytics. Uh, and, you know, they've talked about how the expanse has been one of, I think the expanse was the number five streaming show in the month of December. You know, when it was on Business Insider's list, we were right up there with the crown. Um, and we have another company that we work with, uh, it's MarketCast, um, you know, and um, Ben Carlson started um, a company called Physiology that was acquired mm -hmm. by MarketCast. Broderick and I have been close to Ben for many years. And so we certainly talked to him. So we have a, we, we know what's going on with the show. And, and we, we, we know, we can see how the show has cons consistently built its audience. What's interesting is it's had a particularly strong season in season five. Now, right. I think we'd like to think that that's in part because it's, it, the show gets better and better. I think probably the fact that we're in a pandemic and therefore <laughs> viewing of streaming is up all over the place is a factor as well. But to some extent, TV shows are like book series, right? I mean, there are a lot of great books out there. It's just a question of time and when you can get to them. And so the more people that discover your TV show, your book series, the more word of mouth tells other people to discover it. And that's how you become, you know, a bigger and bigger property. And that's what we've been fortunate to be able to do with The Expanse. Really, I think from a business standpoint, look, we were a feature company first. So I think there'll always be a certain love for features that can't be replaced. But if one's looking at this from a, a sort of a cold ass business point of view. One of the biggest benefits of television versus features is the feature business has been through the course of Alcon's history, not pre-Alcon, but from certainly, certainly the time we went into business has been about getting out of the gate, opening night, opening weekend, determining the trajectory and outcome of a particular film. It's like an election function. Sure. You have to motivate a large group of people to come out and vote very quickly in order to succeed. And while that can lead to tremendous success, and we've been blessed over the year to have more than our fair share of it, it's also leads to a fair amount of randomness because there are all kinds <laughs> of things that can happen that can affect a movie on opening weekend that may be related to the artistic success of the product or not. It may right. be more about the trailer you cut than the movie itself. Or a Northeast or Nor'easter. Or, or Nor'easter right. or God forbid, you know, whatever the case is. So, you know, um, uh, uh, the, in television, conversely, there's an opportunity for audiences to have a moment for word of mouth to kick in where you really can discover something. And so shows like Breaking Bad that did not become a hit until it, you know, was picked up in Netflix in its second window for streaming. Uh, you know, and other examples of shows, and now of course The Expanse, were given time to find its audience. And that just from a, from a creation standpoint is, is very gratifying. And from a business standpoint, makes TV a very attractive addition to Alcon's overall business plan. You know, if you talk to any major studio, 
Warner Brothers, you know, even Lionsgate, you know, what is television is 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 really the backbone of these businesses. I mean, even even taking into account giant hit movies like Harry Potter, I mean, properties like Two and a Half Men and TV shows like that are 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 multi-billion dollar assets and they really form the backbone of the business. So I think we understood when we really got into television back in 2012, where if we were really gonna grow our company into something that had tremendous value, we needed to add television to our business, our business mix. Um, and so individual projects, you have to just on a case by case basis, it depends how they were financed, what rights you held on to, what rights you sold, so on and so forth. But overall, television is a better business, has been a better business than the feature business. I don't know that any CEO would argue that point. Probably. Yeah, it's much more, It's I mean, the feature business is much more of a random hit or miss, high, low, unpredictable um, sort of, I'll, I'll call it activity. Um, television is actually a business with, you know, <laughs> more steady cash flows and whatever. And while they, it certainly has its its um, its share of unpredictability as it relates to which exactly shows work or not, once the show is going, I mean, you know, it's a it's a business. I mean, there's a there's a there's a, a sustainable cash flow that comes in pretty regularly and whatnot. As opposed to a movie, which you're relying on, you know, everything working on a, on a single weekend, generally speaking. And, you know, something else Robert, I think we should touch on, of course, is, is you don't have the massive cost element of prints and advertising. In Correct. Business the way you have in film. I mean, right. now, I think an interesting topic, maybe not for this podcast, but worth discussing is, mm. is, is the, is the, film business going to be able to finally capitalize on big data the way that the TV business has. And that's really where the streamers play into this. I mean, fundamentally, the biggest problem with the feature business is, is, is that historically no one's really known who their audience is on any given from film to film, right? There's never really been a consistent metric to understand and even and even if you know who they are there hasn't been an efficient way to really get to them correct <laughs> so you you're ending up spending a massive amount of money in order to market for that one weekend that you're trying to get to it's very inefficient and then yeah. you and then you're waiting for another home entertainment window that's months down the road and you're re-advertising the same film over again so it's a very inefficient uh, business model traditionally. I mean, I, I think Broderick and I may be in the minority in this, but we actually believe um, uh, that solely as it relates to the film industry, I wouldn't say this about really anything else because it's been a horrible human tragedy and, 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 and so hard for so many people. But in the specific, very narrow prism of the film industry, we actually think that the economics of film may improve substantially post-pandemic because it has brought forward certain changes to the business that will ultimately benefit everybody involved by making the economics more more tolerable. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that 
part of that would be starting with the shortening of the wind of the right. between the theatrical and home entertainment. Certainly. Can you put a, I mean, you can put a price on that in terms of like what that means for you in terms of spending money on it, on marketing and, and just getting, you know, getting people to, to see your product, however they do, whether in theater or in a, by, by a DVD or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, our view, uh, cause we, I mean, personally and professionally, we have a tremendous uh, love and belief in the theatrical experience. And we believe very much that it will continue a uh, mm-hmm. very important part of not American, not only American, but global culture once the pandemic recedes. So our view is that what's required is a pricing model that gives consumers a genuine choice, gives theaters a real chance to succeed, while at the same time providing consumers with the most or let me say it differently, the least amount of friction to watch content, how they want to watch it and where they want to watch it. And so um, uh, we think that'll be the case. We think there are a lot of different interesting uh, ideas that are being tried now. And ultimately there'll be an equilibrium that will allow for better economics for the business and therefore more um, different types of content to be created without one having to sort of risk their shirt every time they go out and make a movie, which benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? But before the pandemic and looking over the years you're talking about with the expanse, it's just, it's, it's hard to argue the economics of the non-temple film business, not, not Marvel, not Pixar, but the non-temple business we've been in, the blind side and PS I love you and book of Eli and dolphin tail. And over all the years, all the successful, mid-range films we've had, the economics for the business have deteriorated through, you know, 2011, 2012 through 2020. And, and it's incumbent upon everyone who loves film as an art form and isn't in the business of financing film to find better models uh, that work for everyone uh, uh, more efficiently than they have. Mm-hmm. Have you, obviously, we've seen some, you know, some really uh, groundbreaking moves with titles, you know, premiering day and mm-hmm. given the, you know, given these extraordinary pandemic conditions, have, have you had any titles affected by that? Have you had some, have you had to, you know, kind of rewire release? Not, not, not yet. I mean, we've been in a very heavy um, development cycle. I mean, so it's going to be interesting for us because we have a lot of product projects that are coming that, that are ready to be made um, it c- come this year once the um, pandemic s- uh, subsides. Indeed, we, we made a horror movie um, in September um, up in Toronto, and it was, a, it was actually a very satisfying, uh, fulfilling experience. And then we, we came up to Toronto. We had a very uh, rigorous testing um, regimen and you know we ended up having no cases and we we wrapped the film and we're in post-production and we had a, it was it was it was wonderful to see people who were happy just to get back to to working and whatnot and so it was a it was a it was a wonderful experience actually so we, we have a lot of stuff that's coming up and indeed we have a couple animated movies that we're getting uh, pretty far down the road on. So we were able to continue to 
produce those because you know you're it's animation and right. um and that's both in film and television we have animated projects so we've been able to uh sustain our our productivity during during the pandemic and hopefully in the coming year a lot of it will get seen um, what, what we've adjusted to what Broderick mm -hmm. is saying is, you know, like Lullaby, Cynthia, for example, which is the horror film that we made in, in Toronto this, this past fall, is we didn't establish distribution on the front end with the movie, which is right. not, which is the opposite of how we've worked historically. We're still very close to our friends at Warner Brothers and we talk to them about doing things, but we, 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 we made a decision. We no longer wanted to be locked into one distribution model. And this predates mm -hmm. the pandemic because as we saw what was going on in the marketplace, where we believe we have a unique competitive advantage is, is, is not only our expertise, but our financial abilities to actually proactively create content and then find the best distribution MO for that content, depending upon the circumstances. So Lullaby is something that we'll establish distribution for coming up here over the next few months. And, you know, depending upon how things are going, that may be something where we're one of the first films out theatrically, which would be absolutely something we'd love to do as the marketplace reopens. Or if we determine a streaming option is the best for it, we're open to that, or some hybrid version. So we're trying to keep as much optionality now in terms of distribution as right. the marketplace shakes out. Do you have, I mean, you, you, uh, you expressed your faith in the theatrical, the theatrical experience, but is any of the turbulence in the marketplace coupled with the pandemic, is there any curbing of any of your ambition at this point? Are you, or would you say that you are go, you would, you were going at the speed and velocity that you would, even if the pandemic hadn't happened? Um, well, Roderick, I think both of us should answer this. I'll answer it. Well, let me say, let me say this for me. I think, I think, I mean, as, as, as generally speaking over the last 20 years, a big part of our job is risk management. And therefore, I think we are going at the pace that we think the business dictates based on our best judgment. Um, you know, yes, we went ahead and made a relatively modest budget horror movie, but we didn't go out and make some huge drama, <laughs> you know, in the fall. So I think I think we we're adjusting our, um, you know, progress to production, let's say, based upon how we see the business itself evolving. So it's it's something that we're monitoring, making decisions on constantly. Um, yeah, I think just to follow up on that, yeah. Cynthia, I would say I don't think our ambition in terms of either our creative appetite for different types of movies and TV, because we have a very broad, diverse right. portfolio of content we've made over the years, that hasn't changed at all, nor is our, 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 our desire to, to produce as much as possible change. What is different, I think, is when you are making content where you're not setting up distribution ahead of time, it does change the budgetary parameters. One, one wouldn't go out and make a $100 million movie without having distribution as established in place ahead of time. Certainly, we would not do something right. like that. Right. And so 
you know, as we look at individual projects, you know, if it's a moderately budgeted horror film, we'll write the check, we'll make the movie, and then we figure out distribution. If we're making, you know, uh, a, a, a big feature film, and we have some big features coming up, you know, Broderick and I, as everyone knows, have worked very closely with, you know, Denis Villeneuve over the years. We did Prisoners together. We did Blade Runner 2049 together. We're about to do another big feature film together. That movie will be something we will figure out distribution ahead of time because the budget will dictate that we do such. So right. we are, that, I think that's what we mean by risk management and being, <laughs> you know, I don't know that I call the, say the word conservative, but certainly sensible in our decision-making process. Well, there's nothing more valuable out there right now than IP. And since, again, since you have a library, I have to imagine that people have been knocking on your door for acquisitions. We get calls, but it's not something we, you know, it's not, if you spend your time worrying about that, then you lose focus on what matters, which is to continue to make great content. If you do that, everything else takes care of itself. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from listeners. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.